Hey everybody, welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List and I need to clear my throat. <clears throat> oh, that feels nice. It's those little things in life, you know? You clear a little jizz out of your throat. It just feels nice. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening, everybody. As you know, I am extremely grateful for anybody that's listening. I don't know how many people are listening. I think think it's doing okay. Hopefully it's growing. Um, I don't know, but the folks that do listen, you've been, uh, very kind to me and I appreciate it. Appreciate you reaching out, uh, leaving the reviews. If you haven't already go to iTunes and leave a nice review, five stars, review it. And, um, yeah, reach out and, and keep telling people, tweet about it, post it on Instagram or Insta story or TikTok, wherever you do your stuff, uh, spread it around, tell, tell some people. Tell some friends, some family, say, hey, there's a uh, comedian talking to other comedians and authors and people and trying to spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. The Moe and Alizé keep me busy. Girls used to diss me. Now they write letters because they miss me. That was a little Biggie Smalls. Um, how are you doing, folks? It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking something in collard greens. That was Run DMC. It's a, it's hip hop day here at Mindful Metal Jacket. Um, what is it? A week before Christmas? I can't even. Is that right? Oh my God! A week and a half, maybe. So this will come out on what the seventeenth? I guess that's a week before Christmas. It's strange. Uh, time flies when you're having. COVID. I don't know. Hopefully you're all right. Hopefully you're healthy. Hopefully your friends and family are healthy. Um, I don't know. I feel pretty good. I'm, we talk about it. My guest this week is Adrian Appalucci. And um, we talk about some stuff. Obviously, um, anxiety, therapy, growing up a little bit, perception, and uh, doing service. That's what I hope I'm doing here. And I recommend everyone else doing the same. And um, how are you guys doing? That's what I'd like to know. Reach out. I hope you're doing well. Like I said, anyways, I'm losing my train of thought per usual. But yeah, it's a, it's a strange Christmas time. I'm in New York. They just closed uh, indoor dining. There's new regulations. Sarah and I went to Bloomingdale's last week, um, last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, and it was three Saturdays before Christmas, and we were the only ones in there. It's very strange. And I feel for all these people that work on commissions and all the restaurant people, waiters, bartenders, who I know so many of, comedy clubs, comedians, all the people that um, work in these fields. Hopefully there'll be a... Stimulus package. Uh, today I'm recording on Tuesday. I think they're getting closer. It's only been a few months. Um, you hope that uh, we'll take care of people the way we have the ability to. It's very frustrating. And um, there's a lot of things to be down about, but there's a lot of things to be positive about. It's another thing we talk about in this. And uh, I mentioned it in the episode, Eckhart Tolle, who I love he was just on Russell Brand's podcast. Uh, Eckhart Tolle talks almost the entire time, but it's great. I love hearing from him. And he has a great exercise where you pause and find stillness and you ask yourself, what is actually wrong right now in my life? And the answer if you're being honest, is almost always nothing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't all have problems, of course. You know, you could be worried about rent or health insurance, or you might have COVID, or your mother's sick, or you don't know if you can afford Christmas presents. But those are all things that are going to happen or not happen that you're worrying about. And if you just sit there for a moment and realize that in this moment, you are fine, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you're extra fine. You're certainly not on fire or getting shot at or, you know, in a war or I assume you're not dying. Um, you're probably fine. You're well enough to be breathing and listening 
you're probably holding an iPhone or a computer of some sort. So you're doing okay. Take it a moment at a time, one, one uh, you know, orgasm at a time, one poop at a time, and uh, you'll be all right. Hopefully we'll be all right. I think we're going to get help is hopefully on the way. And let me know if I can help you. If there's anything I can do to help, I would like to be of service to you. I hope I am right now. Hope you're enjoying this. And um, Adrian and I talk about that a little bit and getting out of your own head and, and, and trying to help somebody else and just being of service to somebody else is really helpful. So especially at the Christmas time, Christmas spirit. So try to do that. And um, yeah, take care of each other. We'll, we'll, we'll get through it, I think, right? Um, I think uh, I'm right around 2 million views if you want to help me. Maybe it'll help you too. I hate myself on YouTube. You probably, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you've seen it already. So you're probably the wrong audience. But maybe tell some friends, spread it around. Trying to get it up over two million videos, two million views. It's on YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, I started a YouTube podcast. My friend Ronan Hirschberg, who is the first episode of this podcast, um, one of my favorite ones, one of my favorite people to talk to in general. And uh, we have a new podcast called. Joe and Ronan talk movies. We didn't put much thought into the name. And um, by the time you hear this, there's three episodes out. They're all on YouTube. Please go subscribe to my YouTube. You can also hear it on the Tuesdays with Stories Patreon. Um, if you don't like looking at our faces, you can hear it on the Tuesdays with Stories Patreon, which is also filled with tons of bonus stuff with uh, Mark Norman and I, of course. And we have a great time over there. So do that. Go subscribe to my YouTube. Check out Joe and Ron on Talk Movies. And also Connor's Ultimate Movies, my um, my little web series I put together with my friend Dan Hershon, who I got to get on this podcast. And um, yeah, you can support me that way. And uh, I Hate Myself is also in album form now. And I have my old albums, Are You Mad at Me? And So Far No Good. I got a theme going. So Far No Good, Are You Mad at Me? I Hate Myself. I'm filled with positivity. And um, that certainly helps me if you go and support all those endeavors. And uh, let me know what I can do for you besides, you know, hopefully providing laughter and maybe some comfort with these podcasts. Anyways, those are all things. Um, and yeah, be still, find your breath, take care, comb your hair, good luck, wash your butt. And how about some wisdom from Thich Nhat Hanh? That's something we could all use. He's the guy that started this journey for me. I love him. And I'm reading an excerpt here from the book, The Art of Living. It's pretty good. I don't know where to start this. This one might be long. If we are not peaceful, if we don't have enough compassion, then we can't do much to help. We ourselves are the center. We have to make peace and reduce the suffering in ourselves first because we represent the world. Peace, compassion, and well-being with ourselves. When we can reconcile with ourselves and embrace and transform our suffering, we are also taking care of the world. Don't think that you and the world are two separate things. Anything you do for yourself, you are also doing for the world. Hmm? All right. Now, for the world, enjoy this conversation with my friend, Adrian Appalucci, hilarious comedian. Oh my God, I forgot to plug her album, but we do it on the show. Baby Skeletons, pre-order it today. Adrian Appalucci, one of the best comedians in the country. And she's also on The Degenerates on Netflix. I wonder if that guitar music is long enough to cover all of this. Oh God, I'm sorry to my producers. I screwed up. Go pre-order Adrian's album and watch her on The Degenerates on Netflix. Here you go. All right, this is it. Hi. We're live. We're live. This is so exciting. <laughs> and well, it's always podcasts are so funny and weird to me because we're just talking and then now we're like, okay, now we're doing a thing. Now it's official. Everyone's going to hear this. Yeah, it's weird. And they're going to hate us. And uh, oh, probably 
Hey, but my face. I hate my face. It's gross. Why? Don't you, you hate give it? Yeah, but you have a handsome face. Why do you hate I guess that's natural though, just to not like the way you look. Um, well, th- first of all, thank you. Um, yeah, and then also just I my glasses, I can just see the reflection in my glasses, so I feel and like I, I look. I know I also have glasses, so I see my glasses and your glasses. It's a lot of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we suck. I mean, look at this. I, I yeah, it's terrible. Maybe I'll go no glasses. Can you see? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I can see close if we're you're close enough, but I see better with them. What's crazy, I walked my dog the other day. It was like four in the morning and I went out without glasses. And I haven't, I haven't done that probably in like 25 years. And I was like, I can't see anything. I didn't even realize it. It was just like so early in the morning. I, I was like, oh my God, I can't see anything right now. No, it's bad. It's, it's horrendous. Did you ever have this? I think I talked about this on this podcast, maybe last week, a couple weeks ago. Did you ever, when you were a kid, did you lose your eye? Did your eyesight start going bad when you were young? Yeah, I started having trouble seeing and my mom wrote letters so I could sit in the front which is awful (laughs) I guess they were too cheap to buy me glasses so they're like hey can you put it right by the board um and then I started wearing them around fourth grade I think and I was so excited to get glasses my dad was like you're an idiot (laughs) why do you want glasses I don't know why I thought they were cool Oh, that's horrible. Well, now we're into now we're into mental health. I mean, that's, oh, sorry. That's horrendous. <laughs> sorry. Well, first of all, I mean, I just wanted to say when I was a kid, I don't know if you had this. I, I'm a hypochondriac. I thought I was going blind and people laugh at me because they're like, that's so funny. You thought you were going blind. But I'm like, that makes sense to me when you're 12 years old and all of a sudden you can't see as well. You're like, oh, my vision is getting worse. If it keeps getting worse, eventually I'll be blind. I think I just thought everyone saw like that. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I slept a lot as a child also and was depressed. I don't think I was, I don't think I noticed it was getting worse. I think I just thought everyone saw like that. See, <laughs> I, I, smarter. no, I think I have like, um, I thought everything was unique to me. I was like, I must be the only person who's losing their eyesight. No, I just thought this is how everyone sees and I'm just struggling. Do you know what I mean? Like there was a there was a girl that used to just throw up in school, and I was like, "That's just her thing." Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's like I guess my thing is like I can't really see that well. That's hilarious. I wonder how that girl's doing now. I wonder if she's still throwing up. Well, it was weird because she was just like raised her hand. And she was like, "Hey, I think I'm not gonna be able to finish the test," and the teacher didn't know she had thrown up yet, and she was like you better finish that test. And then she was like, I puked everywhere. <laughs> so like at first she got scolded and was like, finish your fucking test. And oh, then, God. And then she just puked everywhere. One time when I was a kid, I was in bed and I felt sick and I was like, I got to throw up. And for whatever reason, I just had that natural thing of when you're sick, you're like, I got to go be with my parents. I got to go tell my parents that I'm sick. So I walked into their bedroom at night. They were sleeping and I turned on the light and I just went, I'm going to be sick. And I just bent over and threw up all over their carpet, like in their room. And I remember feeling like all sick and crazy. My mother was giving me a hug. My dad was like, why didn't you go to the goddamn bathroom? Yeah, your dad was mad. That's that's how my dad was, too. My dad was always mad at everything. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just like like the moms are usually more consoling where the father's just like, well, from a perspective now, I'm going to waste time cleaning this up and I have to go to work. Yeah, I do get it. And then, it, yeah, his rug smells like puke and he has to like, yes. get a new rug, I guess. And obviously I could have gone to the bathroom, but I, I mean, like, I remember it was like one of the few times I remember being like, oh, I think my dad hates me. Like, not the few times, one of the first times I was like, I think my dad hates me because I just barfed on his fucking rug. Well, I remember that story. You've probably talked about it already uh, because it was talked about on the cruise about how like you won that cart that you won that cart isn't it weird you didn't realize that was weird like i didn't realize certain things were weird either until i started going to alan and he was like that is insane and you're like oh really i didn't know that i thought that was just normal a hundred percent i mean that's all therapy is that's why i recommend therapy to everybody because i think most people think like what we're talking about i think most people think Mm -hmm. That's just normal. That's the way parents are. That's the way life is, whatever. And then you talk to an old Jew who's like, what? He was like, you had a terrible childhood. And and like my and I said to him, I go, I thought I had a good childhood because no one fucked me as a kid. Like that was my level. And he was like, no, (laughs) he was like, that's 
no, that was. <laughs> I almost think he thought it would be better if I did get fucked because then people would have at least like paid attention to me. He's like, no, you had a terrible childhood. Yeah, he said very similar things to me, and he's like, yeah, he's like, in some ways, when uh, getting hit by your parents, that shows passion. They care. <laughs> I was like, that's what? true. Um, but yeah, so tell me more about your. Oh, okay. So quickly, I'll just tell that story. I think. And it was a moment of clarity. I was on yeah. the, the Joker's cruise talking to Sarah, telling her the story about I was at a video store and they were like, there was a go-kart like in the middle of the thing with like ropes around it. And it said, put your name in this bucket and we well, it's a drawing to win a go-kart. And I won. I put my name in. I won. I was like 10 or 11 or something, maybe 12. And I won the go-kart and I'd never won anything. It was amazing. And we had it for like a few days. And then my parents traded it to my uncle's brother for a trip to the Bahamas. They went to the Bahamas and he got the go-kart. And, and you didn't, didn't you didn't even go to the Bahamas, right? No, I got nothing out of it. And I was just told like that's the way it is. And I was telling Sarah, funny. I was like, listen to this. And she started crying. <laughs> well, you told us that story at um we were all sitting down at dinner and we were and we were like laughing and we were like, oh, my God, Joe, that's terrible. Only Bennington, Ron Bennington laughed his ass off and all the women were like, gee whiz, this is bad. Yeah, but you don't realize that as a kid, you just think it's what happens. Yeah. And so I think like it set this thing of like, oh, and then Sarah's like, this explains so much. Like, I understand you better, like nine years into a relationship. She's like, I understand you better than I ever have, because I'm always like, do you hate me? Does everyone hate me? I'm always afraid everyone's going to leave me and hate me and turn on me. And uh, I it's because that. I had my go kart stolen. Um, I think I realized that not I didn't have that story, but like my biological father left me as a kid and then I reconnected with him couple years ago and he basically his family was jealous he was meeting me so they made him like not talk to me it was like if he hung out with me it was like he was cheating on his wife with me it was so weird like he like met up with me once and he was like hey I don't know how much time I have left he's like I feel like my wife's gonna change the locks I'm like you she knows we're not fucking right like this is so bizarre <laughs> like what a weird thing and he was like I mean all my kids said they're gonna stop talking to me like I can't have contact with you and I felt like that was the thing with Alan where I had to like really work through that. And I don't think I fully have, but he was just like, yeah, that's fucked up that this guy like left you twice. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So is that the same dad that said glasses are stupid? No, that was, that was another dad. And what's interesting though, is that my biological father, when I did the first time I met up with him, we had like a two hour conversation and he was very insightful and like introspective. And he did show an emotional side, which my, father did not have because he was like a gambler addict so it was like oh i could have had possibly that Do you right. know what I mean? but yeah so it was just weird like meeting somebody where you're like oh if you were in my life i might have had a totally different childhood you for sure would have so when when how old were you when he left um so he was a drug addict and my mother left him i think like a year in and my mother also, like, when I told my mother about it, she was like, oh, that's so crazy. I left him because I thought he'd never get off drugs. And then he got off drugs right away. So I think she oh. also feels upset. <laughs> I that's think she's hilarious. Like, I think she's like, oh, I should have also waited that out, maybe. But I think she just thought he was never going to get off drugs, which, you know, they were young. They were like 22 years old or something, 22 and maybe 23 or something. That's so funny. The idea of like six months later, he's like a banker. <laughs> he's like making money and sober. No, he wasn't a banker. He was like, you know, blue collar, like a uh, cab driver and, you know, but he just had it. He was just someone like that was emotional. Whereas my dad was like a wall. I remember I told my father I loved him. And my mother was like, put your arms around her and tell her you love her. It was just so, it was just so bizarre where you're like, yeah, I don't. That might have been different if the drug addict she stayed with him. Wait, so that's your like stepfather guy? You mean? So my biological father's name was Joe, and then my mother married my father, who adopted me, who's also Joe. So it is confusing. Wow. Um, yeah, but yeah, that was the one that adopted me. That was like a gambler and just not very emotional. You know, 
so is that what you do on this podcast? I don't know. If yeah, yeah. No, this, okay. this is great. I mean, we're in okay, it. Okay, I wasn't sure. Great. But I always think, I mean, you have such sitcom life, and we've talked about this years ago. I always thought it was funny, the idea, because your mother was doing comedy for a while. Is she still doing comedy? She's still doing comedy. She's yeah. like bummed out like the rest of us. And I was like, you weren't even doing it that much. I remember meeting her and like hanging out with her and liking her and then being like, Adriana Pellucci is my daughter and being like, what? <laughs> that was years yeah. ago. That was like 10 years ago, I feel like. Probably. And my mother comes off so nice. Like she comes off like you would have thought I had a great childhood, but she that's not who I had as a mother like growing up. That's like fake comic. Right. That's so fascinating. But I always thought this was really funny was I think if I'm getting the timeline right is you did Letterman or something like that. You did Letterman. And then your mom was like, well, I got to start doing comedy. If you can get on Letterman, <laughs> I got to get, get so, involved. So it's kind of a, so she had said stand up when I was like 18. Um, and she did it not like at the level that we're doing it at. She was just kind of doing like, you know, get booked on a show here and there. She stopped. She would keep going back and forth with it. And then I started, she got me into doing it the first time. She did bring me to an open mic that was like in Brooklyn somewhere in a restaurant. It was so bizarre. And then I kept doing it and she, cause she would start and stop, start and stop. But I kept doing it. And then she saw me getting like Montreal and last comic standing. And then she was like, oh, like you can actually do this for real. I'm going to start doing it again. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, she was like, yeah, if you're, if you could do this, I could definitely do it. But that's amazing to me. Mother, daughter, both doing stand up where the daughter has been doing it kind of longer and is more successful. So the mother gets involved. And then you have yeah. two Joes in your life. You have stepdad Joe and other other Joe. I mean, that's a sitcom. I mean, you, you'd have to. Be... And now she's with the, now she's with. So now she. All right. My dad died when I was like 22. And then she married this guy, James, who is a, an alcoholic who's now dying of cancer. But they're divorced, but he lives in the basement. It's like the whole thing is insane. It, the whole the whole situation is nuts. I mean, this could be like a play. I mean, it could be a lot of things. I mean, I guess it's just a crazy reality. So you have a man dying in your basement right now? No, no, I have my own apartment now. But I'm saying where my mom lives, she lives upstairs. And downstairs is her ex-husband, who's now like very sick with cancer. And do they get along? Does she go down there and feed them or something? <sighs> Not really. My sister kind of is his caretaker. She does a lot more from him than my... My mom is still upset about everything that I guess happened in their relationship. So personally, because they got divorced and never sold the house, I think she's waiting for him to die so she'll get the whole house. But I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. Right. Boy, so much... Uh drama and, and layers here yeah Al, you know it's funny my mom asked me if she could go see alan and alan was like no i don't want to see her i don't like her oh wow boy he alan is just the best isn't he yeah he was like i don't want to see her i mean he might have seen her with me but he didn't want to see her by herself that's really interesting so okay so the, the fans of the show know about alan how long have you been yes. seeing alan are you still seeing alan I see him on and off. Like, I haven't been seeing him now just because I'm not working. Like, I even said to him, I think right before the pandemic hit, I was like, hey, you know, I'm doing the, this thing on The Degenerates on Netflix. I was like, I'm going to be able to tour. I could finally, like, give you more money. And then, like, the pandemic hit, and I was like, hey, I don't, I was like, hey, I don't really have any money now. So I haven't seen, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I do miss him, and I'm going to call him. Yeah, you should hit him up. I, I see him every other well, I don't see him. I talk to him on the phone and we do every other week now. Same thing because of financial. Yeah. Um, but and also with pandemic, there's less interaction, less relationships. So it's hard to see a therapist every week because you're like, uh, I got nothing. I'm like, I watched uh, Say by the Bell all the way through. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the craziness about being in this pandemic is just like it makes you like go nuts a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. So some people, I was just talking to a friend of mine, a friend of ours, who was just like, I'm losing my mind every day. It feels like Groundhog Day. I'm, it's just psychotic. I'm losing it. And But I've sort of adjusted 
quite a bit and I do a lot of zoom hangs and Sunday was warm. So I hung out with some friends in the park and I have Sarah, which is nice, obviously. And we've gone on a couple trips. So I'm like a lot of it. I've kind of enjoyed. I've enjoyed not worrying about yeah. getting spots and being like, I didn't get any spots and not being out till one in the morning. So some of it, I'm like, it's kind of nice in some ways. Yeah. I don't know how I would feel. It's weird now to be doing those late night spots because I'm used to being home. So I would get home, you know, I would do those late night spots, get home at like one in the morning. I don't, it would be weird to go back to that. You know what I mean? Like I, I got them consistently very late night spots. So I, it's weird to be home at like eight, nine o'clock. And then I don't know. I'm, of course I would still do it, but I'm used to being home now. Early. Yeah. It's weird to think about. I was just talking about that last night. Sarah got back and it was like, 12 50 a.m and i was like falling asleep watching some murder doc as you do and i was like oh i'd be like i'd have a set like 20 minutes from now because yeah. also at the comedy cellar like they're always running behind schedule so like a 12 40 spot is actually like 1 a.m and i'm like i'm gonna it's gonna take me time to adjust or i might go back and start saying hey i'm only available before 10 p.m i have to be one of those guys now i, I don't want to live my life at three o'clock in the morning at, in the greenwich village it's hard too because sometimes I wouldn't even have a spot before that, so I'd leave my house at like eleven forty-five. Yeah, same. It's very bizarre. You always <laughs> had a car. I have a car now, but yeah, there was times I remember being like dead of winter. It's like fifteen degrees, and I'm standing on an elevated train platform at like quarter of twelve, and yeah. I was just snuggling my wife in her pajamas. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to go put jeans on and go sit in the cold so I can do twelve minutes of jokes. That may not even go over well. That was the worst part when you're on stage and you're like, I was just in my house, warm. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it makes me jealous of those comics like Norman and Wolf. They live in the village. And Louis, they can just walk across the street. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we're, we're playing a different game. Like people would always be, I'd be at the cell and people like, hang out, you got to hang. And I'm like, it takes me 90 minutes to get home. <laughs> yes. If I miss a train, it adds 45 minutes. I'm not hanging out. You guys are going to walk home. Yeah. And then you first when you get home too, I can never go right to bed. Right. Because you're kind of amped up even if you bomb. So then you're just kind of like unwinding and then it's two, three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, completely. So it's going to be yeah, it's definitely going to be hard to go back there. But so how are you doing uh, psychologically day to day with pandemic? Um, the summer was good. I, you know, I was in the beginning, I was very freaked out. I didn't really do any shows until maybe September. And then I was like, Oh, I should have just done shows all summer. Um, right. but I was like very freaked out about it. And then I just, it did become kind of like routine. Um, the summer was nice, even though I wasn't doing shows, I was going like, I was hiking or going to like this park. I like in Larchmont and just walking by the water. So it was like nice to be out. But I am feeling like once the weather starts getting really cold, like it's starting to get where you're just kind of in the house a lot more. And that like drive that kind of drives me crazy. Yeah. Now, first of all, I'm like, thank God for Zoom and um, yeah. podcast, because now I'm just doing like nine podcasts. I have this podcast. I got Tuesdays with stories. Then we do a bonus every week, which I think you guys do, too. And then I yeah. just started doing a thing with Rana on Hirschberg where we're just talking movies on YouTube just because... It's super fun. And it's also like we throw it on YouTube. It gets views. It's whatever. So you're but sometimes I get fucked up because I'm like I half of my relationships are podcasts. Like I, I barely talk to Mark outside of a podcast when we're talking and our relationship is the same off and on the air. But it yeah. is weird when you're like, oh, my relationship with these people is completely recorded. Yeah. Also, I feel like Mark. I think has not skipped a beat during pandemic. I feel like he's probably doing almost as many shows. He's traveling probably just as much. Uh, no, he is. Yeah. It's like, it's, <laughs> That's it, I'm, I think if he had COVID, he wouldn't even tell anyone. He would still keep doing shows. I mean, he literally did. And I'm not speaking out of school. Cause he told the story on my podcast, Tuesdays with stories, go subscribe and listen everybody. But he talked about it. He did. Um, Vinnie Brands wrote Stress Factory in Bridgeport and he's telling the story with no no amount of like, oh my God, I shouldn't be saying this, but he had mm -hmm. like the flu. Like he had fever, chills. He's like, I had to take a hot shower. I was still freezing in a hot shower. I got under the blankets. I was still freezing. 
went to the show. He's like, I had to pretend I wasn't sick because I didn't want to scare anybody. And I'm like, what's wrong is, with him? This is insane. It's completely insane. And evidently it was like a 24 hour bug, but it might have been low grade COVID. I have no idea, but no one seems to be sick or upset. But yeah, he just but that's the thing. Um, and I should have Mark on in the podcast at some point um, to talk about all this stuff. But I think to him, Mark is not a guy that can sit in his house for any period of time. He just doesn't. He, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think he can. He, yeah, he can't. He's got to be out. I mean, he's a guy, too, that would just be at the cellar when he wasn't on. He'd just hang out there all night. Like, I, I'm this is pretty natural to me to just sit at home. Well, now it is, but especially too, we don't live that close. He, I think if I lived in the neighborhood, I would probably just pass by more. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're not scheduled to go into the city, kind of like a 45 minute ride or whatever. But if I don't know, I can't picture him still. No, he's not a um, stay still kind of guy. So he, yeah, he's just, he's been, he's been working. I don't think he, uh, I don't he's think He'll probably have a new hour in like a week. He probably already has it since <clears throat> his special came out. Oh yeah, I assume so. I think so. And then and and Sam too. Those guys just can't. Um, they can't not work. I'm like, I'm loving it. I got my feet up over here, and I'm working. I'm doing podcasts and whatnot. But I'm yeah, watching a lot working. of movies, and I'm working on myself, doing a lot that's, of meditation meetings and stuff like that. That's great. Um, I feel like I'm ready to retire. It feels pretty good. I mean, like, <laughs> and our pot, like Tuesdays with stories does really well. And so I'm like, this is yeah, you living. can retire. I'm like, this is pretty good. I could talk for an hour a week. That's my job. Fuck it. Do you miss all the traveling and stuff? I miss it a little bit, but I, there's a point where you're like traveling so much sometimes where it's not fun. Well, that's the thing. So I was like genuinely burnt out. So I went, I did. 20 consecutive weeks on the road, like September through December. Yeah, like, you you were on the road way more than me. That's crazy. It was gone three, home four, gone four, home three, for four months straight. And then going into the shutdown, when we shut down, I was going to be gone for 22 days. I was going to go from New York to L.A., straight to Austin, then to Boston for a day, then to Vegas, then back to New York for a, just to change flights to go to Australia. Holy crap. And I was like dreading it. I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to be so burnt out. Um, so it is almost like fortunate in some ways that all those, th those things would have been fun, but yeah, so I was burnt out and I've been on the road since like 2006, I started opening for DePaulo. So I have never been home this long. It's been pretty unbelievable. I definitely don't miss getting on flights and putting your bag overhead and like waiting in line and all that shit. But I do miss being in different places. Yeah. That was fun and performing. Of course. Yeah. That's stuff you miss, but like not all like the waiting and the traveling and your flight getting delayed and coming back and that stuff. And I was not doing it nearly as much as you. Um, but yeah, that, that part I don't miss, but yeah, I do miss, of course, going to cities, doing shows, working on material. You know, now you just, I get an idea. Like sometimes I'll tweet it, see if it gets anything. And then sometimes I'll just write it in my notepad. Yeah. And this is what I, I had a good talk with Louis the other day about this of like, it will go back to, that's the important thing to keep remembering during this is we will go back probably next fall. They're saying where everything's back to the way it was. And we have the option to do that. And the shows every night. Yeah. But we'll never go back to this, like kind of a guilt free. And we're actually literally doing service to society by staying in. Like we're doing yeah. the right thing by not doing it. That will never exist again. So you might as well take advantage of it. That's true. That's a good point. I guess it's just if I knew like, say there was to be a way where they're like, hey, September 1st, everything's back to normal next year. I would be like, OK, fine. It's definitely going to be back to normal. It's just all the um, uncertainty that I struggle with, like just not knowing what's going to happen. You know, like the first time I was going to have like a tour and now it's like I have one date scheduled for next year. So it's like, I don't know. I just feel like I have the shittiest luck in comedy. But yeah, no, it um... and everyone's going through this. So I know I'm not like unique and special. I get that. No, you also had um, Louis wanting to develop a TV show with you, and then he got canceled. <laughs> like the next yeah, week. it's just like I can't. The next week, can't, 
I can't catch a break. Like, Patton was going to do a special with me this fall. And, like, that's not happening. You know, that's obviously not happening. So, well, well, maybe you can get it, you know, back. Maybe, hopefully. Um, but yeah, no, it's, but the, the nice thing I try to remind myself too is we have this feeling of, of like crazy uncertainty and everything's unknown, but it always was that way. We never, it just felt like we knew because we had stuff scheduled, but you know, clubs could have burned down. Our plane could have crashed. We could have got AIDS. You know, we could have got shot and That's raped, and whatever. So that part remains the same. We don't, the future is always unknown. Yeah, I guess it feels like when you're building towards something, you have that anticipation of it happening. And then it just sometimes never happens. Yeah. No, it's frustrating for sure. I'm going to take a big sip of water. Do it. Okay, it's done. It's over. That was quick. Uh, it already happened. Yeah, thanks. I lost my cap, though. Now I'm just touching my penis. I found it. Ooh. Um, but so what are you doing to deal with all this stuff? What is like you're not going to therapy. Do you have any kind of um, meditation practice? Do you do you blog? Do you write? What are you what are you doing mentally? Um, I think so. Yeah, I'm not going to therapy. I haven't even been going to that many meetings, to be honest, either. I think at night I'm just, that's why I can't sleep. I think I'm just anxious and everything is building up in my head. So actually, I think I would probably benefit from meditating and like doing program stuff and talking to Alan, like, because I'm not really dealing with most of it. I think I'm just like, I couldn't sleep at all last night. I think I went to sleep at four o'clock in the morning. I woke up at seven. So yeah, so I'm just like, I think I'm riddled with anxiety. Yeah, that's tough. You got to take some action on this shit. Um, you should yeah. get you should get the uh, I recommend the Calm app or the um, Waking Up app. I think I can get a free. You can get Waking Up app for free, uh, which is the that's the meditation app I use. Sam Harris. And, oh no! Nice. Uh, I it's think I have the, the Calm app. So also, my dog is going blind, so now she's like a pain in the ass where she's on the special medication to keep whatever eyesight she has left. And she just has to go out all the time also. So she's just like also kind of ruining my life too. It's like having an autistic child. Oh, that sucks. If I had an autistic child, I would throw it away. (laughs) I wouldn't even (laughs) take it home. I would just leave. Yeah. I'd leave the hospital, but you don't find out right away. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm good. Get out of here. Um, But no, not being able to sleep. Sarah was gone this past week and uh i don't know it threw me off because i'm used to having her there so there was one night like i was just staring at the ceiling for like hours that feeling is like horrendous to me not being able to sleep is the worst kind of anxiety yes do you st- well i'll i'll do this thing where i'll start looking through my phone and then i won't stop and then i'm like my brain is triggered more to stay awake i think so it's even worse no, the phone is like the worst thing for falling asleep. I just recently, a few weeks ago, started. I got this book called How to Break Up with Your Phone, which I'm working on. I've mentioned it every single episode now, but um, I'm trying to do better with the phone. But they said like a, a great thing to do. is I bought an alarm clock, which I don't even need because I'm not going anywhere. But leaving your phone in the other room when you go to bed. So it's not the first thing you look at. And I've the last done thing that. You look at. I've Was done it, that. I did it one time and it did work. But the problem is if my alarm's on that, that's why I would probably need a second alarm like you have. Um, but if I put it inside, it is kind of like a way to just go to sleep. I fell asleep right after that. Yeah, I mean, because you just start staring at the ceiling and eventually you do fall asleep. But I've had bouts of uh, insomnia, anxiety, and it's the worst. Thing. I remember it was December of 2017. Same thing. Like Sarah was out of town or 16, actually. Sarah was out of town and I was just like, it felt like I had like the year. I forgot how to fall asleep. I was like, cause sometimes I can get fucked up. I don't even like talking about it cause it'll fuck me up again. But I'm like, it doesn't even make sleep. Doesn't even make sense to me. So I'm like, I just close my eyes and then I go to a different place. Psycholog- it's fucking crazy. But you wake up pretty early, so I would think that you get tired pretty early. Do you know what I mean? I, Don't you wake up like seven, eight o'clock? I wake up at like eight o'clock now, so it is nice. I do start to get sleepy, but your anxiety can keep you awake. You start getting your heart yeah. pounding. But I always, I'm trying to do a joke about it when I have shows, which is once a month now. 
But like Sarah was like, gets jealous. She's like, oh my God, you wake up so early. I wish I could do that. But I'm like, well, I'm waking up early because I'm literally having an anxiety attack in bed. Like I wake up to pee and then I go back and I just lay there staring, freaking out. So I'm like, I might as well get out of bed because I'm losing my fucking mind. Yeah, it would be nice to fall asleep like a dog. Like dogs just lay down and they're out. Well, dogs are like the most, uh, not the most, I think cats are actually. I just listened to a thing about this, but dogs are very zen animals in a lot of ways because they're not they're never thinking about the past or the future they're just kind of sitting there and then somebody had a point that like actually cats are the most zen animal because if you think about a dog if anything happens out of the ordinary they go fucking ballistic like if yeah, somebody knocks true. at the door they're like ah fuck and so that makes them like a cat is literally just in the moment 100 percent of the time yeah, I mean, that would be amazing, though, to fall asleep. I'll even take falling asleep like a dog and waking up once in a while. Like when you hear something, like a doorbell or whatever, dog barking. Yeah, it would be nice, but I have, yeah, mine is anxiety. Do you have anxiety more at night or in the morning, or is it equal? At night. At night is when, um, like, especially, like, my boyfriend just started working. So we, me and him would stay up kind of late, but now he's like going to sleep like a normal time. So then I have hours by myself where like, there's nothing on TV I want to watch. And I keep saying, I'm going to read these books I buy. I never read them. So that's when I start thinking about everything. I'm like, Oh, unemployment's going to run out. What am I going to do for money? Am I going to go back to being a paralegal? I haven't had a job in seven years. Do you know what I mean? So like, that's when at night, I'm more at night in the morning, not as much, but at night is when my anxiety kicks in. Right. Well, this is where some good old fashioned mindfulness practice could really come in handy. You got to get these apps going, get some of these podcasts going. Sam Harris, Dan Harris, Eckhart Tolle. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I think I'm almost too anxious to sit and listen to it. All right. That's fair. But well, these the, the, the meditations are 10 minutes. Does it help you? Like, do you listen to them before you go to sleep? Sometimes like I start in the morning. Well, now I just have it going so much that it's like a religion where it's just constant. It, it's my now I can fall back on it. I have the tools and exercises to be like, I'll start freaking out. And then I'm like, oh, this is just this is just my thoughts. I'm, I'm connecting with my thoughts. I'm uh, what do you call it? Um, identifying with my thoughts. My thoughts yeah. are not reality. Fear is just fear. These are just appearances and consciousness. And that really does help. And I've gotten good at, at pausing and stopping and sort of um, connecting with my body and the breath and the feeling and then all these like breathing exercises. And there is that thing of, and, and program stuff helps with this too, but there is that thing of like, what can I do about this right now? Yeah. Well, an Eckhart Tolle exercise is to sit and pause and be still and ask yourself, what is wrong right now? And the answer is almost always nothing. Yeah, I guess like as soon as I get anxious, I'm, my immediate thing is like, I want to fall asleep so I don't have to deal with it. Right. That, that's how I like to deal with anxiety is to fall asleep, but you can't just sleep all day. Yeah, exactly. And then when you wake up, it's similar to drinking. Drinking and sleeping are similar to that when you use them in that way, because then you wake up and you just have that shame of like, ah, oh, fuck, I just slept but any all day. Of, any of the addictions, drinking, eating, sex, shopping, like once that little period of mania ends, then you have to deal with whatever you didn't want to deal with. So, I mean, I, I think because of the pandemic, like everyone's addictions are up like tremendously. I think people are gambling more, shop, you know, shopping more, doing like everything just to like, I guess deal with the anxiety of it. Even if you don't have money, people are still gambling and doing stuff like that. You know, it's just a lot of time. And I mean, fortunately, I don't have kids and I don't have like a huge rent, but there's some people who are like both of them and their partner are not working. They have kids. They have like a mortgage. Like I can't even imagine having that level of anxiety. I'm getting anxious thinking about someone else's anxiety. But that's almost a good, this is like um, Stoicism, William Irvine, who I had on a couple episodes ago, which was amazing. Another great book called um, Guide to the Good Life. But that's almost like you could use that as like a gratitude practice of you're sitting <laughs> I'm there. Glad I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not that person. Yeah, well, it is true, though. I mean, obviously, like you wish better for those people, but you're like, okay, 
I'm here. I'm struggling. You know, our jobs are kind of fucking obsolete right now, unless, you know, you don't give a fuck. But, um, <laughs> you know, but you can sit there and go, OK, well, at least I don't have a child. That is good. That can, you can be yeah. grateful for that. At least, you know, you're healthy. Like some people have all those problems and they're in the hospital with fucking, you know, whatever AIDS. <laughs> Um, I, I don't think AIDS is that bad anymore, to be honest. I think it's fine. I think you're right, but I also am grateful that I don't have it. I mean, I'm, sure, I'm gl- grateful I don't have AIDS, also. But I feel like if you, I feel like if I did have AIDS, I could probably get a special off of that. Do you know what I mean? Like they want, even when you do specials now, just writing great jokes. They don't care about that. They want a story. So if you had this great story about how you overcame AIDS and dealt with it, you'd have an HBO special. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They could call it live aids. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> you could. I mean, workshop it. Don't just go with the first aids title. But yeah. I just think they want even my manager's like they just want this story. They don't want just like great jokes. Like, you know, the fact that like Netflix wouldn't buy your uh, special or like Sam's. You're like, these are people who are at the top of their game. The best. To me, it just doesn't make sense to me. So then I talked to my manager and she's like, well, they just want this story. You know, she's like, I think you should even do more personal jokes and stuff. And you're like, why can't I just do jokes? And that's not how it is. They want like a story. Yes, it's very frustrating. But you did your album. Is it self-produced? What's going on with the album? Um, yeah, I self-produced my album, Baby Skeletons. And when does it come out? Um, the 29th and it starts pre-sale starts the 15th. The 15th, which is, yeah, so that's, well, two days ago by the time you're hearing this. Okay, so everyone can go pre-order it right now, which helps a lot because, A, if you don't pre-order it, you'll forget nine days from now. That's true. Also, the pre-order helps because then when it comes out, all of those count as sales, so it boosts your thing and you can get the number one spot or whatever. Um, Also, the album, I haven't heard the album, but I know your jokes. I know your act. The album is going to be amazing. One of the best comedians. I assume a lot of people know you anyways through Ari and stuff um, and Vag and all those good things. So everybody go pre-order the album. Press pause now. Go pre-order it. Baby skeletons, plural. Yes, baby skeletons. Baby skeletons. Yeah, go pre-order it. The artwork's pretty cool. Check the artwork out, even if you don't buy it. It's pretty cool. No, buy it. I like Oof. the cover. Buy it, but, you know, sometimes people are struggling. I don't know. And or if you that- hate it, just gift it to someone, because it will really upset some people also. And you can just stream the fucking thing. And are you going to put it on, like, YouTube and shit, too? Or how does, what are you doing with that? Um, I don't know if I'll put it on. I'll have some clips on YouTube, but the the video from the actual taping didn't come out great so i won't put that up because it's kind of shitty but i'll put some of the clips up yeah put audio only because i find out some people just are obsessed with youtube they want everything on youtube i did this podcast oh that's a good point i could just yeah yeah, i could just put the audio on there eventually maybe in like a couple months yeah the album cover on there so that's something and you so you got that going on you can focus on on that you're creating you got that coming out and people you can go support fucking artists that are, are starving in their, you know, stepdads are dying in a basement for God's sakes. Go lend some support. Lend some support. Yes. Um, go listen to my album. Go buy it. I don't yeah. know. Listen to Vag. So how much do you miss doing live stand-up? I miss it a lot. And also when I took those like four or five months off, you're so rusty in the beginning, but it does come right back to you. But, you know, being off stage for a week, I, you forget jokes already. And then like when you're doing a couple sets, like in a night, you're really able to build jokes so much quicker and add tags. Cause I think a lot of us write on stage, you know, like you'll have thoughts and then you'll go on stage and then like, you'll think of something and at, not being on stage, it's so much harder to do that. And I had a couple of jokes that were getting really good. And now it's like, well, I guess I'm going to do them on zoom see what happens yeah no that part is hard because yeah your first time back it's so rusty you can't remember any jokes and you just don't have that muscle because it is a muscle you have to exercise and the more sets you're doing the more fast you are and quick you are and yeah i write on stage too because especially at the cellar with the low ceiling and it's like a hot crowd you're just everything's when you can get into those sets obviously sometimes you know you eat shit still there but 
most for the most part, it's good and you're killing. And so you, and you can kind of roll. So creative, like just in the moment. Yeah, that's the thing I know. It's talk about drugs like that drug of like leaving the cellar or the village underground or any club, really. But that feeling of like just made people laugh. You just did something. Even if you have a mediocre set, you have the I don't know if it's dopamines or remdesivir or whatever it is. You come off and you just you have that release and you just feel good. You're like, I'm doing something. It was like a raw emotion of doing a live show. Or even just getting like a tag to work or getting a new tag. Like it just gives you so much. I don't know if it's hope, but it makes you feel so good just getting like a joke to work. Like no one will really understand that except comics, but like something that you know is funny and you can't really get it to work. And then you get it to work on stage and you're like, fuck, that's like, that's what you're working towards getting these jokes to work. And that's what I miss. I miss. And I also miss hanging out with people. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of weird. Like if you're off all the time and everyone's, I mean, not everyone's at work now, but like, you know, I'm used to being on the road somewhat. So there's not as much time. Now there's all this time. We can't really hang out with people that much because of COVID. I mean, you can, but you know, my mom is old. My sister has a, you know, my sister has a kid. So it's like, you know, other than that, I don't have that many family members or friends that even live in the Bronx anymore. I, think the only thing that keeps me here is comedy because like I would just leave New York City it's so expensive I've lived here my whole life and I'm over it where would you go what what places come to mind if if I was doing stand-up still I would probably stay here or like a big city but if I wasn't doing stand-up I would go be a schlub anywhere I don't care (laughs) I wouldn't give a fuck I would go Connecticut somewhere like far out where it's just cheap and your rent's not $3,000 for a fucking dumb apartment. Just buy all my clothes from Kmart. I would just, whatever. I would just go do whatever I was going to do. Go maybe get like some fucking stationary business, something dumb that like, you don't really need to, you know what I mean? Like just live like an ordinary person. I don't know. I say that maybe I would miss it. I probably would, but just like, it's so difficult, everything in New York, especially if you're not rich, right? Like finding a parking spot, you know, I don't have a washer and dryer, so I have to constantly be, you know, it's just like everything is harder here. You know, it's tricky. I, we always talk about that leaving. Um, you try to like, I'm going to go hike last week. Like I'm going to go hiking, whatever it is. And you're just immediately in traffic. You're like, all right, this is going to be great. I'm going to jump out. And then we talk about, we go to Sarah's family or my family. You just, your, your car is in a driveway and then you walk to it and then you get in there and you drive to a supermarket. You just park in the garage. I mean, in the, in the parking lot, or you go to like a state park, which is like 20 minutes away. You park in their parking lot, you just hike and then you come back and you park in your driveway. It is difficult, but it's a trade-off in that you can go to the comedy cellar nor in normal times and, yes. and hang out with 25 people, the funny yes. people all, all night. And of course, the best movies are there. You can go see a movie that's an independent movie theater, whatever the fuck. And, uh, you know, Central Park is great. All that fun shit. That uh, is the trade off. But if I was not doing stand up, I don't know if I would care. No, I think about that all the time because, I mean, you hear what people pay in other places. Like I remember going to like Charleston, South Carolina and visiting my buddy. And it's a beautiful city and, and warm. And he was living in like a two bedroom apartment. And it was like 600 bucks a month. I mean, this was like 20 years ago, but yep. or whatever, 18 years ago. But still, for what we pay, Sarah and I pay $2,600 You could have a, a house month. somewhere. Yeah. I mean, Chris Allen, comedian, past guest, he lives outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. He showed me his house. He has like a two-story house with a wraparound um, deck and like on like three acres. And his mortgage it's is like, like 1400 right? Yeah. I think it's 1400 or $1,200. And I'm paying double that. Yeah. And like, because me and Sarah had him on. And, and like, I think he showed us his place where he was telling us about it. And we were just both like so jealous. Like he said, I want nothing more than to drive into a driveway and walk two steps into my house and bring groceries. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I live on the third floor and it's not the worst. It could be much worse, especially people that don't have a car. But like you got to, you know, there's usually not a spot. So you have to double park, bring your shit in, go park the car. Laundry is the same thing. You know, it's just like it would be so much more convenient. And I feel like I have to have so much more clothes because I'm not doing laundry all the time. I'm doing it maybe once a week. 
Right. Whereas if I just had a washer and dryer, I could do it every couple of days. But it is important to remember that there's people that live like that and they're like, God, I'd give anything to be in the city, to have diversity, to be able to take the subway, to go to see a show. I hate my house. I'm in the suburbs. There's nothing near me. Like Chris Allen wants to kill himself half the time because he's going to drive two and a half hours just to see another comedian. So it's a, it's a yeah. sliding scale. Yeah, I get that. Maybe, I, I mean, I feel like there's got to be an in-between though. But I guess maybe there's not. Do you, where do you live? You either live New York, L.A., Chicago, Austin, Boston. And other than that, what is D.C.? This is and for comics, you mean? Yeah, and all those places are still pretty expensive. Well, I've thought about this uh, a lot with comedy. I think Cincinnati area, northern Kentucky, because you're like a four-hour drive from like seven markets, and Kentucky's like super cheap to live, and it's beautiful. And you have a vote that matters, sort of. <laughs> it's not a bad place to move, but yeah, you could go to even a nice city, like you said, Charleston or Charlotte or something where it's not as expensive and it's still a city. Like I had an ex-boyfriend that moved down to, I think, Charlotte, and he was like, oh, it's like the New York of the South, which I don't agree with, but it's still a big city. You know, it's like a ma- you're not living in like the s- suburbs or maybe he is, but. It's just like it's still a major city, but life's not as hard there. Right. But also a lot of this comes back to uh, acceptance and, you know, mindfulness of this is what our life is. And it, it does become, um, what's the word, um, not helpful. I can't think of a word. I, I look smart, but I'm really not smart to think about all these things that, that could be or what we should do or would do. And, and it's better, I, I think, to accept and be present with what we have and, and maybe a little gratitude list. Like I said, if we don't we don't have, um, you know, a baby you got to feed at the moment and you don't have a um, uh, your legs work. And that's our, true. We're, we're healthy. We're here. And then when it does go back, you got the coolest life in the world. You're working at the comedy cellar and traveling, telling jokes. And you got a brand new album coming out. I feel like we we might also we all might have to re-audition at the cellar. No, SD will be dead by the time this is over. We'll have... Uh... <laughs> Do you, so you think Liz will be booking it? No, I don't know. I, I shouldn't have said that. I feel terrible now. What if she hears this? She's, I'll never work not, again. She's not going to die. She's going um, to be 105. Um, no, I think we'll be fine. It'll be tough sledding at first, but we'll we'll make it work. And And think about how many people talking about gratitude, how many people, probably many people that are listening, they're, they're down because they never even attempted to do what they wanted to do. They wanted to be something or try something. And then they ended up in a job because it was, you know, it paid them well. And, you know, they're happy to be paying their bills, but they wish, man, I wish I had tried doing comedy and you've done comedy at the highest level late show with David Letterman for God's sakes. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, the Chris Allen who wants to be in the city. You know what I mean? So it's like those people have stability. I, you know, I guess, too, I thought about like my boyfriend going to work, leaving seven in the morning, coming home at like five. And I'm like, that's terrible. Like, <laughs> I don't I wouldn't tell him that. And hopefully he doesn't listen to this. But like, I don't think I could go back to a job where you're just doing something that you don't really like. And it's like all day long. Do you know what I mean? Like you're th- you're just doing that all day long, and then you come home and you're exhausted. Yeah. So in some ways, I feel like we owe it to the people that are doing that, who are listening or not home. listening. We owe it to them to be like, hey, yeah, this is pretty great. My life is pretty good. It is pretty good. And me and Sarah have even talked about how we are enjoying this somewhat. I guess I'm just worried about you know what's going to happen. Like it is great right now. I guess that you kind of gotten a timeout. Um. But yeah, there is also a part of me that does worry about the future and comedy and clubs closing and, you know, how many people have blown up during this period where you just fall further down? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Sarah said to, I think we were talking about, she said like, you know, this whole time I thought everyone was taking a break and then you find out like Sarah Cooper has this, this special coming out and all these people who are getting TV shows and you're like, oh, I thought we were just all chilling out. And I guess not. No, it is. It is. Uh, it's hard. But all of that stuff is um, I mean, the worrying about what's going to happen is all just anxiety and, and fear. And again, this is where mindfulness comes in to be like, OK, I'm my thoughts are carrying me away again. I'm getting carried away with my thoughts. I'm identifying with thought. 
And it comes back to what can you control? And, um, and those, those things naturally in our business, I think in every business, you know, it's that, that compare and despair thing of like, okay, that person's doing this, they got a show. But if that person didn't get a show, it wouldn't change your life. We have this feeling of like, oh, fuck, that guy just did that thing. But you're like, so what, if they didn't get that, you, all your problems have remained the same. That's true. I remember it going back to what you said about accepting stuff. When I would see Alan, he would tell me to accept things. And I go, but how do you accept something you don't accept? He's like, you just do it. I'm like, but I don't accept it. I know. Well, <laughs> I tried to do it. That's like a struggle I had where I'm like, I just, I don't accept that though. I, I've had this, I tried to do a joke about it with Alan. He's like, you got to accept that. And then, so then I'm like, um, yeah, my, uh, my, my parents did this. And he's like, that's unacceptable. And I'm like, what? I thought we were supposed to be accepting. I didn't know. Some things you accept and some things are unacceptable. I'm like, how do I differentiate those? I guess I guess it's unacceptable they did it, but you have to just accept that it happened, right? But it's like, no, but it was so wrong. Yeah, that's where it gets confusing with acceptance. But I am like big into <clears throat> a 12-step program and meditation and therapy and all three come back down to acceptance, acceptance. basically. That's all of life. It is the serenity prayer, which is... In my clearest mind, when I think of that, I do go, well, what can I control and what can I not control? And I, you know, I can't control the pandemic. I can't control opportunities that I don't have right now. And then I'll try and bring it back to like, you know, even cliche things like everything happens for a reason or just trying to trust like step three. And it's, it's hard though, because I always want to take my will back, you know, like I'll turn stuff over and then I just instantly take it back. Right. No, it's 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 difficult, and that's why it is like a daily um, exercise. I think of a league of their own. If it if it was uh, if it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. <laughs> it's very it's all very difficult to be doing this stuff, and also just know and remember that every single person walking around the planet is in their own head battling the same stuff to varying degrees, but everybody is dealing with it. it's just natural. It's like our natural monkey mind to be thinking all the time and it's exercise to not identify with these thoughts it's really hard my friend um there's a quote i'm gonna mess it up but it was something like if you talk to somebody and you're like intently speaking to them and then they pause and you say to them what's wrong i can tell something's wrong and they all go oh how did you know because everyone's going through something like right. even if it's not that big of a thing but like almost everyone is going through something whether it be like something huge, you know, divorce or whatever, death or something, or something even small, like, oh, I'm waiting to see if I get this promotion. But like, everyone's dealing with something, you know? So it's like, if you, if I can kind of keep that into perspective, it's just hard because like, I want everything and I want it right now. I want it like yesterday. Right, right. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's really hard to uh, accept even those things. Even for even like doing this album, I'm just anxious about all this. I'm just anxious that I have to do all this stuff. I have to ask people to help me promote it. And then whoever doesn't get back to me, then I'm going to, you know, I could also do the same thing. I'm like, oh, they hate me. They don't think I'm funny. They don't want to help me. Maybe they don't like me. Did I do something to them? Like my best friend, I texted her two, three times in a row and she didn't get back to me. I'm like, did I, did I call you a cunt on a podcast or something? Why, have, why haven't you gotten back to me? She's like, I'm just dealing. She's like, I'm just not in a good place, but it had nothing to do with me, but I automatically thought it was because of me. Right. Of course. Yeah. You know, especially now in these times. And yeah, a lot of times someone text, and you're just like, Oh, I just can't deal with that text right now. I just, uh, fuck, I can't deal. And then sometimes people, this happens to me all the time is like you read a text while you're um, running for a bus or whatever, while you're jerking off, whatever it is. And then by the time you're done, jerking off on the bus you're like i just completely <laughs> forgot about it i just I, you know i i came in the little bus driver's face or whatever and then you're like shit i can't i forgot about it so yeah it is and it's like the classic thing of like nobody is thinking about you as much as you are like in your mind Absolutely. you're like oh they're all sitting the whole industry is sitting around a table just trying to prevent me from getting anything and in reality they just haven't uh, they're thinking about whoever has aids yeah, it's like, there's also like another principle, I guess, in program where it's like, I'm the biggest piece of shit, but I'm all I think about <laughs> right, <laughs> or right. something, something like that. Like, I'm not worth anything, but all I'm doing is thinking about myself. And you're right, like, even exactly. if you have 
even if you think negative, it's still self-centered because you're still just thinking about yourself all day. Yeah. The piece of shit at the center of the universe. Yes. Yeah. That was more succinct. It's very, um, no, it's, it's always there. And that's where like, again, this, and this goes back to Buddhism and, uh, program stuff is it really, really does help to step out and try to be of service to somebody else and be thinking about somebody else because, and I find a lot of the times I'm like, Oh, I feel down. I got to do something for somebody else. And then I do, I'll reach out to somebody or donate money. And I'm like, shit, I still don't feel better. And that's what allow, realizes, oh, I was still doing that for me. I wasn't even thinking about that person. I was doing it so I would feel better. You have to actually let go of that too and selflessly try to do something for somebody else. And that's when it actually comes back and you're just naturally like, oh, I feel better because I wasn't thinking about myself. One time I had the sponsor who gave me an exercise and she was like, I don't know, maybe I was going to like Trader Joe's with this store or something. She was like, go put all of the carts in the parking lot back. Like, just bring them all back. Yeah. Just to, just to do service. And I did it and I was kind of annoyed. Because <laughs> you also, you're just like looking, you're like, why is this girl putting all of these dumb things back? Um, but yeah, she was just like, go do service. Like, do something outside of yourself. And it is true. Like, make a call to somebody. Do any, any of those little things to really get outside of yourself. But it's hard. I have to be reminded to do that. Yeah, no, I, me too. But and even just reach out to someone to be like, hey, I, I listened to your thing the other day or I thought of you and, uh, you know, I love you or that thing's really funny or that thing's great. Um, and speaking of which, we got to wrap up because I know you got stuff to do with the album right now. But speaking of which, somebody, if you want to do service for somebody right now, go pre-order the album. Adrian Appalucci. Yes. Uh, baby skeletons. How do you spell your last name for the people? I know how to spell it, but tell them. Okay. I A P A L U C C I. Yeah. You got that, everybody? Adrian Appalucci, uh, baby skeletons, pre order it and then start spreading the word. Tweet it out and then, you know, something spread it, spread it around. Um, what else? Tell them Vag Podcast, right? Vag Podcast with the lovely Sarah Talamash and uh, the. The degenerates. I can't even say that word. Netflix. The the degenerates on. Oh yeah, that is a tough one. The degenerates on Netflix. It's on there right now. You can go watch it. So watch that. Get a taste of Adrian. That's a good porn name. A taste of Adrian. (laughs) And um, and then go download the album or uh, pre-order it. And uh, yeah, you can do that. And thanks for for listening to us. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, it was great. I feel great. I feel better. Way, I'm, gonna go, you, I'm gonna go do service. Yeah, go do service. If you can, if you listen carefully, you can hear Sarah in the background. Oh, she's where? Uh, oh, okay. I thought she was taking a I was shit. Like, Is she there? <laughs> Lucky her. Um. All right. Thanks, Adrian. I appreciate it. I'm gonna hit stop. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.